Okay, let's uh, begin. As you've been noticing, I hope, as we've been going along, uh, we've been using metaphors, and uh, you know, the metaphor, I explained it before, what it is. You can't get that from the little, little translation of what you're saying, but you're, we're comparing it to something else. So we're going to continue along with this. Now, last week we finished verse 5, and we're going to do verses 6 through 11. And if we finish early, we'll stop because verse 4 starts the marriage hall. And I, I know I won't be able to get both the wedding procession and the marriage hall both in, in one class. So let's begin at verse 6. Like I said, this is um, the wedding procession is from verse 6 through 11. Now, in my translation, it has for the speaker the, the Shulamite. Now, I am not going to uh, look at it that way. I mean, there is an area of truth uh, with that. She's seeing the, the carriage come, describing um, what she sees. But I believe it's more fitting to see the daughters of Jerusalem here as being the principal speaker for verse 6. So it says, Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, and with all powders of the merchant? So you have to remember, you see this throughout the book. The daughters of Jerusalem, in this particular instance, do not have clear vision. Now, I, I mentioned this before, that they see the beloved different than the betrothed sees the beloved. So once again, they're seeing something, but they don't know what they're seeing. It's off in a distance. It's starting to come into focus. And I'll read this from the NIV in a few minutes. But they're not seeing with clear vision, but they recognize that there is something or someone coming up out of the wilderness. So they look at that and they focus upon that and they don't recognize who they're seeing. And I believe they're seeing the prepared one, the, the bride-to-be, the betrothed. And the reason why they're not quite getting what they're seeing is because she is so different than she was before. Now, to me, that speaks for, for all of us as Christians, all of us, so that when we start our walk with the Lord, you know, everything is good and we move along for maybe five years, eight years, ten years, and we have this relationship with Him. And then you, you go through phases in your walk with God, and He does certain things in your life. He may come back later and start tweaking other areas of your life. And you may run into someone that you haven't seen for many, many, many years, and they won't even know who you really, who you really are. They'll see you in the physical, and they'll call you by name, but they can't really get a hold of what's going on in your heart and life. This has happened to me with an individual, and I've met, met him and seen him three times, maybe four times, in 30 years. And the last time I was headed for the mission field and he made a comment about going to the Amazon jungle. And 
he, he knew there was something going on in my life because I witnessed to him when I first got saved, bought him a Bible, small pocket Bible, and I, I, I mean, I told him the truth and what have you. Him and I grew up in the same church, same place. But see, he knows there's a change. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't see. And the same holds true with you. The Lord has changed your heart and your life so much so that those who are on the outside, those that are not in the same relationship with the Lord that you know and you experience, will not be able to recognize spiritually what is going on, what has happened in your life. I mean, you can tell them, you can share with them, you can witness to them about, you know, the Lord did this, did that. So, but yet, see, they're not in that relationship, so, so their vision is clouded. They cannot see it. They cannot see it. So here, uh, she sees the bride. She sees the difference. There's something going on here. She actually sees the wedding carriage coming. And I'll, I have, a, have it in the NIV here in a little bit. Let me see, where is it? And that's the Amplified. I have, we'll, we'll get to that in a little, little bit later. But the, she sees the, the wedding carriage coming, the, or they, the daughters of Jerusalem. But see, they don't recognize who it is that's coming out of the wilderness. But remember, in the last chapter, I believe it was, we looked at the secret place of the stairs. The secret place of the stairs is a hidden place. That's why it's called secret. It is where relationship blooms and blossoms. It's where uh, an individual, a Christian, a believer, is there with the Lord and he does certain things in their heart and their life, and they begin to ascend, not physically necessarily, although that's, that's true, the, the secret place of the stairs, but it's referring to uh, this development that, that goes on, this maturity that the person is being drawn into, and as they walk on with the Lord, and they experience him, and they move into this relationship, and they're in this hidden place with him. Now, no one else might know. No one else might see. People might not believe. They look at you and say, oh, that's Ryan. That's Nick. Yeah, I see him in church all the time. But they don't know what's going on within. And the Lord can draw you into this place, and you're there with him, and it's hidden to everybody else. You look like the normal Christian that's in church, sitting there every, every week. You get up, you go home, you go to work, and whatever you do. But they don't know what's going on inside. But see, there's a place, uh, it, there's another scripture in the New Testament where it talks about that we are the habitation of God, the dwelling place of God. And, and then Paul says, until Christ is formed in you, he's praying for one of the churches, he says, until Christ be formed in you. So there is a process involved, and there is a place involved that we are to be with the Lord and that will be the place of development and maturity to where now he can come and inhabit us. And I don't mean that you have the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about that at all. Where you become a dwelling place for the Lord. And that is foreign to many, 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 many people. And even to some Christians who put their own desires and their own will and their own you know, thing before the Lord, 
They don't understand what this means for Christ to be formed in you. So she's in this place, and they know that someone is coming out of the wilderness. Who is this? Who is that that's coming? Who's coming? I don't know. I don't know. Now, in this, this same verse here, let me see here. Well, the word's in verse 7. But this is referring to the bridal carriage of Solomon. We'll see that, I hope, in the next verse that they're seeing in the distance. But remember, the thing to remember is this place I just mentioned and that she is coming out or up from where? Where is she coming up from? The wilderness. Now, the wilderness typifies a place of bondage, a place of humility, a place of misery. Also, it typifies a place of testing, a place of development, a place of learning, a place of revelation. So the Lord will draw us into certain places. Now, as I said, you can go through, and we all do, we go through the normal routines. We go to church, we go home, you know, we're with our family, we go to work, we do, you know, all these things, we go shopping. But that does not mean that a person is not in a wilderness place within. See, maybe you are and no one knows about it. Maybe you're not even really sure of what's going on in your heart and your life, but you know you're in, in some place the Lord has you, but you're not quite, you don't, not quite sure, you don't quite understand what's going on. But nevertheless, if you look in the scriptures, for example, you see Moses. Moses went to the backside of the desert, the backside of the wilderness, and that's where God spoke to him. That's where God got a hold of his heart, in the wilderness. And when you come to the New Testament, we see John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness. That's where he was living. That's where he preached. And he was saying, repent for the kingdom of God. He was trying to draw men to Christ. Trying to draw them in to repent so that they were ready when the time of revelation would come and that was coming right after Jesus, uh, right after John the Baptist, when Jesus came, the time of revelation there for them. And then Jesus, in Matthew 4, was tempted in the wilderness. And many times that's where a temptation will take place. When you're in a place where you're not on this high mountain, you know, where everything is going good and everything is, oh, oh it's so wonderful and so on. No, you're in this place that seems like a dry area. And if that's not bad enough, there you are and you're walking with the Lord and now you're being tempted or you're being tested. And Jesus was in that place and passed the test. And then Paul, Paul, as it says, turn to hold your place in the Song of Solomon, Galatians 1. He's writing to uh, the church of Galatia here and he says, in verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his, his grace, to reveal his Son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, 
I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And, and he's talking about going up, and he says it in the next verse with the apostles. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. See, Arabia was a desert. And I believe that when Paul, see, Paul was brought up in the Jews' religion. And he learned to be a Pharisee. He calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisee. But Paul, if you'll remember, persecuted the Christians and was consenting at Stephen's death. And I believe that Paul knew that that what he was brought up in, although the scriptures were true, he, he probably had uh, committed many of them to memory, but yet there was an area of error that he was in, and that's bore out when Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom thou persecute. He says, you're persecuting me when you're persecuting these, these Christians. And so Paul says, okay, I know I was taught by men, but now I'm going to go to the wilderness and be before God and walk with him and allow him to teach me. And that's what happened. I believe that in the wilderness, the Lord laid a foundation in Paul's heart for correctness. And from that point on, he comes out and the Lord's revealing the words that he knew before, the, 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 um, the Old Testament. Looking at the same scriptures, now the Spirit of God was enlightening him and all the different parts of the puzzle started to come together for him. That's why you see what he, you know, he writes to the Romans, he writes to all them because the Lord put the puzzles together. We are not um, Jews uh, inwardly, uh, no, he says we're not Jews because of the circumcision of the flesh. He says we're Jews inwardly, the circumcision of the heart. Well, who taught him that? The Jews didn't teach him that. They didn't believe that. See, he learned that from the Lord, from the Spirit of God. And the foundation, I believe, for that was laid in the wilderness. So you're, you're seeing this picture here in Song of Solomon where... She's coming out of the wilderness. And she's coming out of a place where the Lord has taught her. For you to be prepared, you must be a disciple, a learner. You must learn. You must be open uh, to the Lord to, to learn from Him what you need in a difficult place in a wilderness. If so, be it, which is usually, the, I don't care who you are as a Christian. Sooner or later, you will be in a wilderness place. And, you know, we don't like the wilderness place. We like the green areas. You know, we like the mountaintop. You know, we like the fresh running water and the greens and, you know, something to eat. It's right there. But no, we don't like the wilderness. But, you know, that's just the way things are. We can be brought there, and we may even think, what is going on in my life? I'm not progressing at all in the Lord. And that's how we think. The Lord may be doing something quite different, far beyond our reason and our thinking. 
So the Amplified says, for verse 6, Who or what is this, they ask, that comes gliding out of the wilderness like stately pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh, frankincense, and all the fragrant powders of the merchant? Verse 7. Someone answered, Behold, it is the traveling litter, the bridal car of Solomon. Verse 7. Now, I'm reading this from the King James, and I don't know who has another translation. What other translations do we have? I know we have the New King James. Who has ESV? Okay. What do you have? New King. What do you have? New King. Okay. Now, in, um, I actually want to draw a comparison, but we'll wait, between a word in verse 7 and a word in verse 9 related to this, this marriage, car- uh, this carriage. Uh, in the King James, it says, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's, three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. Uh, the NIV says this, Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. Uh, the New King James says, Behold, it is Solomon's couch. So see, they're all describing this carriage because it was a place, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of, of a stately carriage, but it was cushioned on the inside and, and so on. Um, the daughters of Jerusalem, verse 6, remember, are not the same, and they're not in the spiritually in the same place as the betrothed, uh, in verse 7. See, they're seeing from different perspectives. Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Um, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors. See, those who desire the Lord, I believe, will recognize him even from a distance. And you, if you have a hunger for the Lord, you will recognize the Lord in your life. What, what he was what he's in the process. Many times we don't. Many times we do. It just, just depends on what the Lord is doing at that specific time. But um, the, the, the contrast here is that <clears throat> the daughters of Jerusalem see the beloved in one way, or Solomon, and the betrothed, she sees him differently. And that's always the way it is. And then, if you even want to take that one step further, you have some Christians who will see the Lord in one way, and others who see the Lord in a completely different way. And it may be in the same coming, the same manifestation. So some Christians will see the hand in the Lord in something, and others will not. They will just ignore that and say, that's what's just happened that just happened so it's all related to heart condition and depending upon the softness of a person's heart see that will have a lot to do with how they see the Lord so that is why I've said before it is extremely important for all of us to make sure that we 
keep our hearts soft before the Lord because a little bit of hardness in our heart will affect our vision of Him. And, you know, our hearts can be hard because of a circumstance, can be hard because, can be hardened because of, you know, something that someone does or something that someone says. You know, there's all kinds of things. Your heart can be hardened um, for many different reasons. But we need to be aware of that and try to keep our hearts soft before the Lord and allow him to work in our heart to keep, keep us soft and pliable like soil. You know, till it if need be. You know, aerate it if need be. Put fertilizer on it if need be so that our hearts are conducive to growth. Because it doesn't take too long in the world getting around certain people, you know, having certain company, keeping company with certain people, that certain things may start to wear off on you. You may start to think like they do. I've seen it happen. You may start to act maybe in a situation like they do. And so the Lord is always calling us to be separate from the Lord. And he wants us to be separated and to stay separated so that he can continue the work and continue preparing our hearts for him. Now, verse 7 and 8, Three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of the fear in the night. So his desire, the, the beloved's desire, for her is coming into focus. See, when you start to look at this carriage, and we'll, we'll see that as uh, we go on through the verses, when you look at the carriage that was built for the, the bride, it's, it's apparent to me that he has not spared any expense in making this. Now, you understand this is not a literal carriage. Now, this is, but I'm not talking about a literal carriage, although a little literal picture of a carriage will help us maybe to understand um, the truth here. A, a literal king, Solomon, who had immense wealth, spared no expense when they came to this carriage. Why? Well, because he loved the betrothed. He loved her. So whenever she sees this carriage, this is going to be the beginning, hopefully, of the manifestation of his love in a different way than ever before. Do you know the Lord can manifest his life, love to you in various ways and in various times as a Christian? It's not always through answered prayer, although that's true. It can be uh, in him, him, him coming to meet you, his presence at a certain time in your life. Or showing you some truth from the scriptures that you were you know, completely oblivious to. Or he can show you something in your own life. Or he can interpret a circumstance. You know how valuable that is? 
When the Lord comes and he interprets your circumstance, and he, he, he's telling you that he knows what's going on, and now he's showing you what the circumstance is about to some degree, and in that is his love, because the work that he wants to do in our heart, for the most part, will occur in our circumstances. That is why our circumstances are important. That is where we will fail because we will not see the importance of our own circumstance. We will say, I don't like it, I don't want it, get me out of it. That's the normal thought. Maybe not here, but I'm just saying it's the normal thing. But if you can understand that the Lord can teach you, the Lord can train you, the Lord can work in you, the Lord can do things in your heart and your life that he cannot do apart from a circumstance. Because the circumstance, the way the Lord ordains them, many times they push us to the very limit. Very limit. To the point where we might say, you know, I'm just about ready to give up on this whole thing. I just... If this is what it means to be a Christian, I've had enough. And I understand that. But see, what is to be our focus as a Christian? Is it not to be Jesus? Is it not to be the Lord? Who is to be the main focal point of our heart and life? Is it the circumstance now? Or is it the Lord? Now, this is very basic stuff, but it's extremely important. So your development and my development, a lot of that will take place in and through our circumstances. So if we are constantly fighting the Lord and we're constantly wanting to go our own way, or if we want to constantly get out of whatever we're in, then what we're going to do is miss the dealings of God, the ways of God, the touch of God, the, the, the healing of God, all the things the Lord wants to do to change us. Why do you think the children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness? Why 40 years? They were only a few days away from the promised land. And in one area, if you, I, I mean... I looked this up one time, and it showed the wanderings, but there was an area there that they weren't sure whether they went around this one little mountain chain. But if they did, they were almost right in the promised land. Why didn't the Lord let them go in? See, because they never learned, they were never able, the Lord was never able to teach them in their circumstance. He was never able to really help them to come out of themselves and to look to him that he would be the focal point of their life. So instead, for 40 years, they go around in the wilderness. I wonder how many times, and the Bible doesn't say how many times they went around in these different places, you know, here and there, and maybe, maybe a circle. Maybe the Lord took them in a big circle the whole time. 40 years. That's a long time. That's a long time not to learn. 
So you go to today, if you went to school for 40 years, you come out, well, you'd be quite learned. I mean, you'd be a, a top surgeon if you applied yourself 40 years. They, doctors go, what, 10 years? About 10 years? 40 years. But in 40 years, they learned nothing. So you can have a Christian, a Christian can be 20 years in the Lord, can be a Christian for 30 years, and learn practically nothing. Because they didn't like the classroom. And I think the classroom should be over there in the promised land. I think the classroom should be in Egypt where there's the leeks and the garlic and the onions. You know, you know you, when you stop and think about that, I mean, just having leeks and garlic and onions, I mean, I mean, that's not the greatest thing. I mean, I like garlic. I like onions. Don't get me wrong. I like leeks. But, I mean, it's not the ideal thing that I would want on my plate. But the, the point was, not just the leeks and the onions and the garlic. The point was that they wanted to be somewhere else than where they were. See, that's the, that's the, that's the thinking there. And if we can understand that, we'll have a great advantage. Because the Lord will be able to you know, do some certain, certain things with us. So his desire here for her in making this carriage and what have you, and the, and the men, now we're, we're not into the making yet, but what's in view here are the, the guards, the valiant of Israel. The best are there holding the sword. Um, he spared no expense, and that's because his desire for her is great. You know, how much has the Lord expended for you, for me? You know, I was talking to someone a while back, and I was thinking, if I were to handpick my teachers, I would not have picked the teachers I did. I would have picked, you know, someone who was popular, you know, you know, you know how we are. But I think, this is my opinion from what I've seen, that the Lord has sent the best of the world, and I'll go as far as to say that, to be a, a teacher for me in the men that he sent. Charles Hahn, Brother Bunny, uh, Jake, uh, Bill Pepper. You know, all the, the, the generation before that laid down their life and, and taught gospel principles, taught in a way that I could learn year after year after year, like you can. And so the Lord will invest. He'll, he'll spare no expense for you when it comes to your heart, if you want to learn and you want to know and you want to move on with God, he'll bring the people you need. That's why it's important to be where you are to be. Because I remember 
whenever uh, Charles Hart first came down to the church, we were expecting a student, and after the service, I looked at this other guy, I said, this guy's no student. <laughs> He's no student. I said, but what did he say? <laughs> I knew, I, I mean, I understood the words, but I had no clue. But I, 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 it was different than what I, I had been taught. I was a very young Christian. But one thing I knew, one thing I knew, I didn't understand what he said. It didn't line up with what I had learned the two years before that. I was only a Christian for two years. But I knew one thing, one thing, and that was inside of me, somehow I knew what he said was true. That's all I knew. And that went on for a long time, months and months and months and months, six months, morning and evening, six months, morning and evening, service after service. I was like, and, and here's how I see it. Remember in, in the scripture talks about the hammer breaks the rock to pieces. Well, there was my, my heart, and I had all this wrong doctrine in there. And the Lord had to break it out. So he brings this man with his hammer, with the word, boom, boom, boom. And when, when it was done, I was totally just pulverized. Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't know what was going on anymore. But that was the point now that the Lord could begin to build over and lay the foundation. See, so the Lord will bring someone into your life. He'll bring a pastor, whoever. And they'll minister and they'll minister and they'll spare, the Lord will spare no expense as far as your heart personally to give you every single opportunity he can, like he did to the children of Israel in the wilderness, to learn, learn of him. So that we can be prepared. So when we leave this life, we're prepared. Regardless of what anybody says or thinks, doesn't matter. The work of the Lord has taken place within. Now in uh, John, you don't have to turn there. Remember, he's preparing you. He's preparing you. He's going to be preparing you your entire life if you let him. In my Father's house are many mansions, many abiding or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, a space for you to inhabit. Not, not some mansion. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. See, the Lord wants us to be where he is. And that hints, hints to a marriage to me. That's what it hints to. Now, the NIV, oh, let me read this. This is a part of verse 7 and verse 8 from the NIV. Escorted, this is the marriage carriage. It's kind of rhymes, <laughs> marriage carriage. <laughs> oh, boy. The royal carriage. Um, Escorted by 60 warriors of the noblest of Israel. See, the best. The Lord spares no, spares no expense. All of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, 
each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Now, I believe the valiant men here represent, it says they're there with swords. Remember that, they're with swords. They represent the protection needed for the marriage bed to stay holy. Because remember, the carriage, in some translations, is called the bed. And in King James, it's, it's mentioned his bed. In the, What verse is it here? It says, behold his bed. Yes, the King James says, behold his bed. So he dispatches these, these warriors to keep that bed, that area, safe from attack. And these, these warriors will guarantee or they will, um, will guard the sanctity of the marriage bed. Verse 8, fear, where he says, fear in the night. Now, I just want to read this from Proverbs, because it says here, this is 7.10, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. And then verse 18 says, Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. See, until the morning is the key here. And it says, and it goes on. But see, the harlot devours his love all night. So the setup here with their swords is to protect that area, the carriage, the couch, the bed, from any intrusion, from any um, anyone or thing that would try to penetrate that particular place. Verse 8. They all hold swords. Now, the word hold here is a, is a Hebrew verb. Uh, it has a continuous action, like a participle in, <clears throat> in uh, Greek or in English. I don't know if it's a participle in, in Hebrew. It probably is. But anyway, it's, a, it's a, uh, a continuous action. And I believe that supports the thought that the marriage bed <clears throat> is to be defended at all times. See, they are expert, verse 8. See, they are trained, they are taught by the Lord. <clears throat> so if you are a young person, like it could be anybody, but I'm just, I'll say young person, and you have a desire to serve the Lord, and you have a desire to keep yourself pure and holy uh, for your future husband or wife, then you, first of all, need to make that decision long before you meet anyone. Long before any temptation comes. You need to settle it in your mind and in your heart that you are going to, to walk with the Lord. And here's the thing. These men, these valiant men with swords, can be called upon to protect you and protect that sanctity at any time. So, you know, you're young. You get around the right person and the desire starts to come. Well, 
Now you have a choice. Do you want to see the marriage bed remain holy? Or do you want, do you want to, to give up your virginity? Now today in our society, I mean, virginity is almost like a swear word to people. They think you're crazy, you know, if you go into marriage, not everyone, but go into marriage as a virgin. And probably that thinking has what, is what has been flaming the teen pregnancy to skyrocket far, far above ever before. Girls, 12, 13, 14, becoming pregnant. And by the time, you know, boys and girls hit their 20s, they've had multiple partners already. And so the Lord, he wants the Christian to remain true to him. Now let's shift. Now let's shift here now to all of us. See, do you want your heart, do I want my heart to remain pure for the Lord, holy for the Lord? Well, that's going to mean that I must separate myself from the world. Because the world, the world system, if you look in Revelation, it talks about the great harlot. And one of the meanings there is the world system. So it's the same basic thing. We looked at the physical thing. But now you have the world who, try, who tr tries to seduce the Christian, tries to get the Christian to compromise, tries to get the Christian to you know, do after how everyone else is doing. Think like everyone else is thinking. Oh, it doesn't matter if you sin a little bit. It's okay. You, you know, it says in the Bible that God will forgive you. Well, he will. But that's not the point. John never says that you have to sin. He says, if you sin. <laughs> so the heart is to be pointed away from sin. And if we want... If we want to be pure for the Lord, then we need to be separated from the world. I'll, I'll share something with you. You might not believe this, but the Lord showed me quite a while ago. If you go to exercise, you go to the gym, and you see a good-looking girl. See, everybody's there to lift weights, right? To, to, to walk, to run, you know, all that stuff. But see, how many go to a gym... To spiritually lift. Have you ever spiritually lifted? So there you are. This real cute girl comes with tight slacks. And you look at her. You can't miss her. Here she goes. So now what do you do? Well, you want a weight lift? You go like this. You look another way. And don't look back. And you start to lift spiritually. And that will help you to stay where you should be, to keep yourself pure and keep yourself, as it says, unspotted from the world so that now the world doesn't corrupt you. Now the world doesn't pull you back because, see, you are separated from that thing. 
And you know, sometimes when we go up to the jail, you know, you have these men there, you know, 30, sometimes 40 guys. Some of them have been in there for a long time. They have all these passions, you know, going on in them. And the Lord sends men there to minister the gospel to help them to separate from those things and separate from the world so that they can be pure. See, the, the, world, the world doesn't want purity. They actually want truth, but they want their truth. They're not, they're not interested in the truth from the scriptures unless it benefits them. So we can call upon the valiant, noble men with swords, spiritually, to help us separate from the world. This is where, where I need the help. And there they are. I believe they're to work for God on your behalf. Verse um, 8, they all hold swords. This says this in Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. See, so there you have the whoremongers and the adulterers God will judge. So you see, you see the, um, the parallel. You see the contrast. Now here's another thought, and this is basically what I've been saying, is that the valiant men are there to defend the king. If you look here at the context, context, you have the carriage and you have the valiant men. Why are they there? To defend. They are there to defend the carriage, the king. Now, slide over here now to the spiritual aspect. The valiant men are there to defend the king in your heart. See, the king is in your heart, Jesus. And there's times we need the valiant men to defend that area, that, that place. So nothing gets in there to disrupt what the Lord wants to do. Verse 9. We'll read, we'll read verse 9 and 10. The King James says, King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. Um, the NIV says carriage. Who has another translation here? The New King James says pelican, peliquin. That's the same thing. That was a, this word here, it's trying to translate in English from the Hebrew word. So back in verse 7, I'll just use the New King James. Verse 7 says Solomon's couch. Would, would anybody have another translation there? Okay. That's a different Hebrew word. She's talking about the same thing, but it's a different word. Why? In verse 9, that Hebrew word is meaning a, a more stately carriage or um, his royal car, so, so to speak. Verse 10, 
He made the pillars thereof of silver, and the bottom thereof of gold, the covering of it purple, the midst thereof being paved with love. You see that? See, love is not a tangible thing, per se, in a carriage, right? If you, if, you, um, if you build a car, you build something, you build it with certain parts. We were, I was watching uh, Jim and Richard put uh, Caleb's car together. We got him a little Tykes car and all these parts all over the living room. And they're grabbing this part, putting it in there. Okay, so they're putting it all together, and you have this part fits with this part, and then the top, and then the wheels, the axles, and everything. But the part you didn't see was the love, see, because that's not a tangible thing there. Now, that's what put it together. That's really the main thing there, but, but that's not a tangible thing. So we'll get back to that in a minute. But... Um, the NIV says it's post he made of silver. Now, picture a carriage, it's similar to like a coach, and the ones that I saw, they had, they almost look like pillars that go up like this and up around on both sides. That's what he's talking about here when he says um, the post he made of silver. The base or the bottom, or you could say uh, the floor, of gold, could you imagine this carriage, all the whole floor of it being gold? And you know, it's not like gold plating on your ring. Gold plating on your ring, I mean, it's like it's probably so so tiny you could probably read through it. It's just like a film. This to put it on a carriage, you know, gold can be brittle. It's probably, it's probably thicker, very valuable. That's the point. And then he says, um, its seats uh, was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. We'll get to that in a minute. So the king, long before the arrival of the betrothed or the bride, had to start preparing this chariot. So you don't throw something like that together right away. See, it took preparation. See, the Lord prepared, as we said, it said in John, he prepares a place for you. It doesn't mean some mansion. I know the word, English word's mansion, but that's, that's not like a mansion mansion. <laughs> He's preparing a place, an abiding place, for you. The Lord is preparing all kinds of things. We just don't know it. What we need to know is, okay, Lord, prepare me. Prepare me so that I can come into what you have prepared for us, for all of us. So he's already preparing long before he starts preparing this carriage for the arrival of his betrothed. See, everything is arranged correctly. See, there are arrangements of God. Certain arrangements of God that you and I 
will have to follow along with in our own personal life. So he has arranged for me or for you to go into a certain circumstance. And as we are in there, now he can continue working on us. And in that time, he is already continuing to prepare what he's preparing, like like we're seeing here. All according to his arrangements, according to his will. And see, and for us to arrive there, it will take us moving in the will of God for us, for you, in your life, whatever that may be. You must move in the will of God. I must move in the will of God. I must follow the arrangements of God for my life. You must follow the arrangements of God for your life. For you to arrive, you must walk with him at this time upon earth. We're all, we're all going to be gone soon. We're all leaving this place very soon. The preparations have been made. Let him make us so that we can fit in his plan. Thessalonians says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. You see that? When you, when you go into Revelation, once again, it talks about the harlot, and it talks about fornication there, if you read it. See, drawing a person into the world, drawing them into the ways of the world, drawing them away into the world system, all tied up, all caught up, having fornication with the world, so that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you, all of us, should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That we should know how to do that. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, you, you, you have to follow the arrangements of God in your life. You have to be separated from the world. You have to be separated from certain desires that will carry you away from the will of God and away from the Lord. You have to separate from that. Remember, you can always call on the valiant man. If you will... If you will to walk with the Lord, if you will to serve Him, if you will to be prepared, then He will do what needs to be done in our life. He will. He's faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful to you. He always has been. He always will be. I mean, if, if I would give you an opportunity, each one of you, to, to show, give one example in your life from years ago, how God was faithful. And even now, you know, we would we'd be here for a long time. We'd be here through the next class, I believe. He's faithful. So all the preparations here have been made for her arrival. And the beloved wants her to arrive Pure. Pure. Now, the one part of this verse 
that we read. Let me see here. It says that um, the bottom thereof is made of gold, the, the covering of it purple, the midst thereof being paved with love. The carriage, I believe, expresses the richness of love contained in the beloved's heart for her. See, he didn't make that for himself. He made that for her. So that's important, you see. See, the marriage, marriage between a man and a woman. Now, most of us know what that, that's about to some degree. Some of us have been around a long time or been married for a while. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people out there that have no clue what marriage really should be like. Really. So the marriage between a man and a woman, and I'll speak in generalities. Generally speaking, women are more giving, women are more loving, women are more nurturing, and they have a better idea or a better handle on what a relationship should be, how it should be, for the most part. And I said, I'm speaking in generalities. Men, they need to learn. In general, men are self-centered. They're interested in control. They're interested in all kinds of things, their own will, their own desire. I guess I'm speaking in generalities. And men, if left in that condition and marrying, a woman might function okay, but a man will destroy the marriage unless he is taught. And for the most part, that's not something that most um, fathers sit down and teach their sons. I mean, if, if they even know it. Most of them are just oblivious to it. I've seen it. I've seen it. And the sons go into marriage, and they have this big hoop-de-doo, you know, like they do with weddings. And they're going in bankrupt, and they're going in with no clue as far as what a marriage should be, how they should give themselves to their wives, uh, how relationships should be, how to function in that, what the needs of his wife are. They just, and that's why I believe there's so many, so many divorces because men don't, they don't know. But see, a Christian man has this great advantage because if he wants to learn the Lord will teach him. He will teach him. And he'll start with one thing, and he'll start to build. That is why there must be, in, in my view of the scriptures here, you, you don't just see this in the Song of Solomon. It's more hidden here. But you see this in Galatians. You see this in various parts um, of Revelation and different parts of the, of the Bible where there is this, this preparation, um, Matthew 25, 
where, where there is this time, this time element, where the two are being prepared. So if you have one that's prepared or in the process of, and you have the other one who is not too keen on anything but their own you know, self-centered desires, then when they come together, one may be ready, the other may not, most likely won't be. And then you have a recipe for disaster. I, you know, I wish, thank God he touched me when I was younger. But I mean, I wish the Lord would have taught me some of these. I wish my father would have sat down with me. If I had a father that understood some of these principles. I sat down and said, this is what you need to do. But you know, even if you, you know them, you can't, sometimes you, you, know, you can't share that because people aren't open to that. Even kids aren't open to it. But how will the man learn? One of the main ways you as a man will learn how you are to be and how you are to act is by your relationship with the Lord and seeing how he treats you, how he loves you, how he ministers to you how he forgives you, all these different things. And if you pay attention to that and you start to see that how he is selfless, how he's always out for your benefit, and you start to see this picture and it starts to form and he'll teach you things from the word, yes, but but you'll see him how he touches you and how he treats you, how he is toward you. He is meek and lowly. He's gentle to you. He's loving to you. He helps you. He answers your prayers. He does all these things for you. He doesn't ask anything. And you start to see these things. You say, well, maybe that's what a man is to be. Maybe that's what the man is to be toward his, his wife. So now... In this time of preparation, hopefully that the man is starting to see these different things and the woman, she is starting to see some things and see the value in uh, honoring her husband or her husband-to-be and, um, and, and to submit to him and so on, what that means. And so that he's being taught what submission really is, because he submitted to the Lord. And if that's right, then his, his wife's submission to him is not going to be a controlling thing, like it is so many times with, with couples. But there's something else that, that moves there, the way it's supposed to move. And so you, as a believer, men, the Lord will teach you and you will see how you are to be through his treating you certain way. You'll, you'll see that if you want to. And he'll teach you relationship through relationship. So you have this relationship with the Lord. See, that's key. And now, because of that, he will teach you in relationship because of your relationship. And you'll be able to function to some degree in that 
I mean, you'll learn, you'll make mistakes. That's the way it is. Just the way it is. Don't we all, husbands and wives, don't we all make mistakes? Yes. But you'll learn and you'll have an advantage because you will have been taught by the Lord and you will know something. And you won't treat your wife like she's a second-class citizen. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I have seen men, even Christian men, treat their wives like second-rate citizens, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, they, they, you know... You're, you're to do this, that, that's your job. That's, you know. And, you know, control, control. Well, you better watch. You better let your wife have some freedom, if you know, I mean, freedom to breathe, not smother her, or it's not going to last. So anyway, you'll learn in your relationship with the Lord. Now remember that this carriage was an enclosed area. It was an area where they both will be able to experience each other. Now the marriage, the coach, not the marriage, but the coach here, the bed is seen, but at this point it's not experienced. That's later. This is all leading up. Uh, to the marriage. The, the key of all this and the key for, for you in your life as a young man or woman is being prepared for the Lord and being prepared for your husband or wife so that when you go into marriage, you have something of value. You have something you know that the husband can give to the wife. He can be, maybe be a strong leader, but lead in the right way. And the wife has all this wealth that she can give to the husband. You, know, you, you both get certain things from each other, certain uh, strengths and that help cover certain weaknesses. So verse 10, it says, he, uh, he made the pillars thereof of silver. Now silver has beauty and silver has value. Uh, the secret vessels excuse me, secret, the sacred vessels of the tabernacle, a lot of them were made of um, silver, and silver speaks of redemption. Silver also refers to the refining process. See, to have this silver and gold in this carriage, there had to be a refining process that the gold went through. You know that. We all know that. It's just, they just don't take you know, gold in its natural form and just okay, now we're just going to stack it there. No, you have to, it has to be worked, it has to be refined, and it has to be brought into a certain mold and, and so on. Um, and gold denotes nobility. And Peter talks about the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Gold refers to the refining process also. And gold refer, refers to purity. It's just not the gold in the carriage. It's representative of this purity, this pure desire, this pure love, as it says in the verse, um, 
to, to give to the other. Uh, okay, the bottom of it was gold. Okay, the word bottom here means support. Now, I looked it up in two uh, different lexicons. It means support. So the support for the marriage bed rests upon the divine nature. See, gold can refer to the divine nature. The beloved, his desire for her, the pureness, the gold. Um, See, the divine nature of Christ is as pure gold that goes forth to you and I to draw our hearts away from this world, to draw us on to be prepared, to draw us on to eventually become part of this marriage that we hear about. Uh, So gold for you and for me is important. Purity is important. Now the latter part of verse 10 The King James says, for the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, The New King James says, by the daughters of Jerusalem. So whenever you go and you look at the Hebrew word, it really, it doesn't, neither one of those words is there. So they have to make this phrase. They do that a lot with the scriptures, you know that, right? Sometimes, like if you go into Greek, I like the Greek a lot better because it's easier for me to understand. Because you can see the prepositions, you can see these different parts of speech. And it's very helpful. When you go to the Hebrew, it's different, very different. So you have the word and the meaning of the word, but you just can't put the meaning of a word here and the meaning of the word here and expect it to, to, to make sense in a sentence, you understand? It has to be some words in between it in English for us to even, you know, understand. So either one of those words, as far as I'm concerned, can apply in this verse. Now, for the daughters of Jerusalem, and if you want to interpret that way, yes, the Lord has made provision for all. See, all can come, all are called, as we see in Revelation, uh, to the marriage supper, to the marriage, all are called. It's, It's for them. Or by them is another aspect of truth, by the daughters of Jerusalem, which means to me that they could be involved in the construction of that, but not be a part of the marriage. So both of those are different aspects of truth. Some translations say for, some say by. It, it it's really doesn't matter. The Amplified, uh, he made its post of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, the inside of it being lovely and intricately wrought in needlework by the daughters of Jerusalem. That's the Amplified. And so that's, that's showing you that they're involved, they were involved in making this, even though they're not, going to be a part of the marriage. It's very interesting. Very interesting. 
So, verse 11, the betrothed says this, Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousal or wedding, and in the day of the gladness of his heart. So you have various things here. Um, the betrothed is encouraging the daughters of Zion to go forth, to come out of the place, you can relate that, to come out, come out of the place where you are in order to start to see the king in a different way, to see the king in his beauty, so to speak. So here he goes on, says, And behold, uh, King Solomon with the crown. That's the nuptial crown. And in, in certain cultures, I believe in, in this culture, the, um, the bride and the groom both wore a nuptial crown. Which if you actually look at that in light of the scriptures... Jesus is crowned, and he also says that the Christian, you know, can, can be or should be crowned. So there, there's that aspect that, you know, all those that are a part of the body, uh, no, excuse me, all those who are part of the bride of Christ uh, will be crowned. Don't ask me what all that is. I don't know. I mean, I know what some of the crowns are in the scripture, but... You know, the, the, a lot of the the teaching is vague as far as uh, what you see in the Bible related to the marriage. But there's enough in the scriptures to point us in the right way, and there's enough in, enough in the scriptures to help us to direct our hearts in the right way to be prepared. So there's enough there. You, all you need, as I said this before, is Matthew 25, where it talks about the five foolish and the five wise virgins. That's enough for us right there to say, hey, listen, there were five that were prepared. There were five that weren't. You know, does that mean that 50% of the Christians will be prepared and 50% won't? I have no idea. <laughs> it might be a lot more that aren't prepared than 50%. I, I don't know. But the point is that there were five foolish virgins. And so what is... Uh, the importance of what, what's important to see here <clears throat> as far as the five foolish virgins. Why were they considered foolish? Not because they, they weren't ready to go out. They, were, they went out, yeah, but they were not prepared. They didn't do before what was necessary to prepare them for the marriage. And as I said earlier, we will be prepared or we will not be prepared in our circumstances. The Lord will be able to prepare us in our circumstances if we are there with him in our hearts with him. You know, and we, we're, we're moving along with him and allowing him to bring certain things to bear in our, in our heart and life to change us. But there are those who are not interested in, in that type of preparation. They're interested in doing whatever. So, the crown here is seen on both of them. Uh, no, we're not going to go to Matthew. I have Matthew 25 here. I guess we can just go read a couple verses. Matthew 25, in closing. 
verse 6. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins, all of them arose and trimmed uh, their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. See, the reason they did not have oil is because during the time of preparation, they did not prepare. They weren't prepared. They, they didn't do what was necessary in their own personal life to be prepared. See, they didn't cooperate in the time of preparation. Or you could say, maybe you could say they were disobedient. I don't know. But they weren't prepared. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy. Buy for yourselves. Well, see, what is needed to be, to be bought? Well, I know the Bible says buy the truth and sell it not, but I mean, what do we need to buy? How, how are you going to buy what is needed here to prepare? Well, you're going to buy with your time. You're going to buy with your, you're going to buy with your will. You're going to buy with your surrender. You're going to buy with uh, your desire for the Lord and your hunger. You're going to buy by going His way instead of your own way. All those different means that the Lord will use will be the commodity that you have to use to buy. It's not like you're going to go to a store and say, oh, give me some oil for my lamp. No, it doesn't work that way. You're going to go to the Lord, and, and you're going to buy in whatever you're in, whatever situation you're in is going to be what's going to help you be prepared so that you can go in. So it's not just a one-time thing that's over in one situation or one time of your life. No, this goes on as you're being perfected, as uh, the Lord's character is being developed in you. This goes on throughout your life. And you may not even see it. I mean, I don't really look too much behind me. Just continue on. But I know when I look out here, Many of you have done what the Lord has showed you to do in your life and you cooperated with him. You have a hunger for him. So that means that if you've been a Christian for 30 years, that you know, you've been in, in certain things and in certain things and you've gleaned certain things of spiritual value in them. And now when you get to the end, well, you're, gonna, you're, going, to, you're going to go in. Now, I heard, I heard Charles Hahn say this. And I, I do understand this. I mean, I, have an, I see it. He said that he did not know whether the marriage took place now or later. And I thought about that for a long time. Now, the literal consummation of the marriage will be future. We know that, right? Yes. But who will qualify as the bride? Is that not T 
determined now in the heart. And if it is determined by the working of God in the heart now, that very well may mean that the marriage takes place now and the consummation of it later. It's quite interesting. No, that's, that's not anywhere that I know of, per se. You can find certain things in certain verses, but as far as that, that particular truth, I don't know. So it very well may be, because, you know, certain people, like if, if you would go out to certain churches, has anybody ever been to a church of maybe seven, eight, ten, twelve thousand people? Some of these big churches. You ever been to a church of five thousand? You go in, and if you're around people, you see people. They're they're spiritually. I mean, there's, they're everywhere. I mean, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Some people you won't even know where where they're coming from as a Christian. And others, you know, they may love the Lord, but they're just not, they don't have the relationship with the Lord that you may see with someone else. It's just, it's different. So I wonder if the Lord is already bringing these into the marriage, certain individuals, because of, of the work of their heart in their heart, because of where you know where their heart is, not not because of their their wisdom or anything like that, but because you know of the relationship there with the Lord that brings about this closeness. You know, marriage is is close closeness. It's a closeness between two people, and you know, you and the Lord, you can be very close here and now. And in that connection, is that really the marriage? Possibly. Maintaining that all your life. And then, there you are. The, the consummation of it, the, the, the literal marriage takes place. And you're already in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you're in that relationship. No, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. That's why it behooves us to desire a close walk with the Lord. We should desire, this is not games here. This is not games. This is not fun and games. This is just something different. This is to be drawn, our hearts to be drawn into this area with the Lord that we function and we walk with Him. Someone said, you know, some of the guys at the jail are pretty big. Are you afraid? I said, no. Because I know someone who's bigger. I, I just, you know, I walk with him, and, and he's there in a powerful way. The last time we went, it was just so, I don't know. It was powerful, powerful. The, the presence and the spirit of God. But see, we're to have this relationship. It doesn't matter where we are, whether we're here, whether we're home, we're, we're at you know, the jail, you know, the camp. It doesn't matter. Because this could be more important than we really realize. Be more important than we think. 
And there may be a lot more going on than we really understand and think of what's going on. There'll be a lot more. So, you know, go into the front in church, go into the altar. Maybe a lot more in that than you think. Drawing a person, not to the altar, that's not the point, but drawing the person to the Lord who meets them there. Why does he meet them there? Because he wants this closeness. That's what he's after. So that when they, when they walk away from the altar and they, they sit down, whether the Lord, they felt his presence or not, that's beside the point. When they sit down, the Lord may be a little closer to them and might be able to encourage them away from the world and you know, in, in this path with him where relationship blossoms, the secret place of the stairs. where you can ascend. There's stairs there, but you can't ascend by your own will. See, he must take you up. He will make your feet. He will make your feet like hind's feet, the feet of a deer, so that you can walk on your high places. You can start to, to go up. So there's a lot. I think there's a lot going on that Christians are unaware of. A lot going on as far as relationship that they're not aware of. So may we, as his people, desire him, stretch forth our hands and say, Lord, you know, I'll go your way. Whether I really like it or not. Now I've shared with you that, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's a struggle to go to the jail. And I know why. Because you go in weakness. Sometimes I go up there, last time I went up there, I said, Lord, I, I don't have anything. I have a couple scriptures, a couple thoughts. And I went in there and I didn't want to go, but when you get there, you go in, you know, you, I know the Lord was going to be there and and it was here they come, they come in, and there's probably 30 guys there. And, you know, he said, wow. And there's two of us. Two went up to another floor. And as soon as it started, the fire of God fell. So that's, see, that for me, it's not, I don't, I don't want it for me, I want it for them. I don't come here and teach for me. I'd rather stay home. I come for another reason. And in the doing, your doing, he'll move you. He'll draw you. He'll bring you closer. Something will happen in you. And you'll never be the same ever, ever. And the Lord will have accomplished what he wants to accomplish, and that's draw you into a closer relationship with him, nice and close, so that he can prepare you, so that he can do what you don't know he's doing.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your precious name. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, that you have prepared for us, Lord, by your love. And that you call, Lord, to each to draw us, Lord, unto you. May we, Lord, be willing to stretch forth our hands to you. May we be willing to walk with you. May we be willing to learn of you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would draw each here closer to you and keep them there, Lord so that they would experience something new with you, this closeness that they have not experienced before. Yes, Lord, we need you. May you continue to work in all of our hearts. May you, Lord, create a greater hunger for us, in us, for you. We do love you. Jesus' name. Amen.